uh, slide this time. So uh, your first quiz is to figure out which one means false and which one means true on error. Okay, if you can't figure that out, we're going to have a rough go here. All right. So as you know, part of our Truish series is we talk about a lot of facts, and in our facts, we've been, we've been doing a little trivia games. So um, these are our last contestants up here this morning. So true or false, Columbus was the first European to sail to the Americas. Uh, Eric seems very confident. Who who was before him? No, no, the first European to sail to the Americas. There's actually a lot of people. We call them the Vikings. Uh, they actually sailed here more than once. So, all right, who got Donna? You missed that one. Yeah. All right. In case, anybody, in, in case anybody didn't see that, Donna got that one wrong. Uh, true or false, gunpowder was invented in China. Well, they're very confident. Well, you all are correct. Gunpowder was invented in China. Look at that. True or false, the Incan, the Incan Empire lasted for over 2,000 years. Wow, you guys are all very confident again. Well, great job. You're all wrong. Uh, <laughs> it lasted for less than 200 years, so you're just about 1,800 years off. So, uh, true or false, submarines were used during the American Civil War. All right. Uh, we got two trues and a false. Emily, you are the only one who is wrong. Uh, yes, they, they did have submarines. I forget what movie it was where they were trying to uncover one of the Civil War uh, submarines, but I did get that one right. I didn't get many of these right when I took this, but that was the one I did get right. All right, Yuri Gagarin became the first human in space in 1961. Wow, you guys are all very wrong. Great job. He was the first human in space, 1961. Those of you that remember that, maybe you, you do remember that name, but um, I did not. I did remember the name, but I, didn't, I couldn't have placed it where it went. The First World War, true or false, began on the 1st of September, 1914. All true on that one? You all are wrong. Anybody know the date? History buff? Oh, it wasn't two weeks ago. This was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> I know what he's going at. June 28th, 1914. So close. First of September, close. True or false, the saxophone was invented by Adolf Sax. <laughs> You're all going with true? You all would be correct. It was a guy named Adolf Sachs. Yeah, or Adolphe, who knows? I don't know. It's a different country, so I just rednecked it. Uh, true or false, Franklin D. Roosevelt was the 32nd president of the United States. 
you know your Ain't nobody got time for that. Okay. We got one false, two truths. That was true. He was the 32nd president. Uh, All right, true or false, Kansas was a part of the Confederate States of America during the American Civil War. Kansas. North or south? Donna is the only one that got it right. They were not a part of the Confederate States. True or false, the population of the world at the beginning of the 20th century is estimated to have been around 1.7 billion. Beginning of the 20th century. One point seven. What are we at now? Like eight ish, eight billion? Eight or nine. You all are wrong. It was estimated to be one point seven billion. That's how much we've grown. Uh, true or false? Last one. The Great Pyramid of Giza is the only one of the ancient wonders of the world that still stands. The Great Pyramid of Giza is the only one of the ancient wonders of the world that still stands. I was 100% with you, and I was 100% wrong. It is the only one that is completely still standing. I know. I thought that was wrong as well. That was it. I don't know what your scores were because I didn't keep score, but uh, we'll just say Donna won. Great job, Donna. You get a free night of watching my kids. Uh, That's about what we can offer. Uh, How many of you are history people, your history buffs? Anybody? Nobody. Okay, nobody likes history except for Ryan. Um, I did not like history. That was one of my least favorite subjects. So regardless of what the history of trivia would be, I would be completely useless. So, like I said, I think I took that little quiz, and I think I got two right. So, um, if you, any of you got more than two right, you did better than me. So, uh, I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to history, except for church history. I did get a little interested in that. But uh, as you know, uh, maybe, we've been going through our series, True-ish, and the entire concept of this series is we're looking at statements which are true or that sound kind of true, and yet they're lies. Um, They're used to create a lie or a deception in our life. And we've covered a number of different subjects in this series. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have as well. Um, But the facts that we just talked about, that we did are true and false, those are facts. As we looked at those, true or false, um, there's, there's no subjective space there. You couldn't say, well, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. I'm going to choose to believe that that guy wasn't the 32nd president of the United States, or I'm going to choose to believe that the Great Pyramid is, isn't the only um, great wonder of the world still standing. Um, doesn't really work that way. Uh, we live in a culture where people want it to work that way, to say, well, that can be true for you, but it's not true for me. That's not my truth. And as we've gone through this series, the point of uh, a lot of this series is to point out that there are things which are just true, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not. 
doesn't change whether or not they are true. History is one of those things. Uh, it might take a little work to figure out some of the things in history, and we get some of them wrong, but that doesn't change whether or not something actually happened. It either did or it didn't. It doesn't matter how we feel about it. History is what it is. Those statements were either true or false. It's similar to a statement that many Christians would make. Whether you agree with it or not, Christians would make the statement, Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's a statement which is either true or false. It can't be true for you and false for me. That's not how it works. It's either true or it's false. See, there's this book we call the Bible, and it has a lot of information which backs up this claim. Now, you might think, well, that I don't agree with that book, and we'll, deal, we'll talk about that a little bit later today. Uh, but if you are a Christian, you would base a lot of what you believe, hopefully, on the Bible. That's where we get a lot of our information, a lot of what we believe. The information in the Bible is either true or it's false. Now, you'll interact with people in uh, especially our culture today who would say, well, the Bible might be true for you, but it's not true for me. It doesn't work that way. Something's either true or it's false. We're not talking about uh, subjective truth. We're talking about objective truth. As we talked about earlier in the series, we're dealing with either absolutes or non-absolutes. And some would argue, as we talked about, that there are no absolutes. There is no such thing as absolute truth, which, if you're somebody who likes to think about things, um, it doesn't take long to figure out, well, that statement's kind of ridiculous because you're making an absolute statement to say there are no absolutes. It doesn't really work that way. Uh, you can't absolutely state there are no absolutes because you've just argued with yourself. So there is, there must be absolute truth. And obviously as Christians, we would base the absolute truth on, a, you have to have a standard. You have to have something which doesn't change to base it on, and we would base that on God. That's where we base our absolute truth. Uh, most of us would agree, um, if you've ever taken math, there are absolute truths. Two plus two uh, does, when does that equal six? It doesn't. doesn't matter how you feel about it. doesn't matter if you don't, you don't like that. It is what it is. There's absolute truth when it comes to certain things like math. We agree with that, but then when it comes to life, we say, ah, oh, no, everything's subjective. The opposing statement to that statement that Jesus is the only way to heaven is basically the, the theme of today's uh, message, the end of our series, and that is it doesn't matter what I believe as long as I'm sincere. I've heard this uh, multiple times from different people. Uh, I've heard it worded in different ways, but the way we're looking at it this morning is, it doesn't matter what I believe as long as I'm sincere. Now, that sounds right. It sounds good to some people, but it's still not true. That's why it's true-ish. Sounds really good. Sounds like it should be the right way to do things. It sounds like, well, yeah, yeah, if you, as long as you're sincere about what you believe, that should count for something. But as we'll look at today, we're going uh, to, uh, as we look at this statement, we're going to evaluate some smaller truish statements that help uh, people arrive at this conclusion uh, and the actual truth statements which contradict them. Because I believe Nobody just wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I think I can believe anything I want and it's going to be okay with me. 
I think you have to believe a lot of smaller lies to get to this place where you believe it doesn't matter what I believe as long as I'm sincere. I think you have to believe a lot of little lies to get there. And so we're going to actually look at a couple of those this morning and how someone could arrive at this concept of it doesn't matter what I believe as long as I'm sincere. Because uh, I think if we were to sit down and have a conversation about this, maybe over coffee, because coffee is awesome, uh, we could agree it, it matters if you get this right. Uh, what happens after you die, it's pretty important. Whether you are a Christian, an atheist, or of some other religion, I think we can agree it matters whether or not we get this right. As a Christian, it matters that, that if I'm right or wrong. As an atheist, it matters if you're right or wrong. If you're wrong, that's not good for you. And so it, whether you agree that something even happens after you die, I think we can all agree it matters if we get this right or not. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, the blind man and the elephant. I don't know if you'd call this an analogy or a, uh, a fable. I don't know. But those who uh, would uh, argue something, uh, if you've never heard the term universalism, it's basically what this statement means this morning. It's this idea that doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere about it, everybody's going to heaven. That's this universalist idea. And the blind men and the elephant is one of the big arguments toward that. Um, basically, the uh, analogy goes, um, a, a group of blind men approach an elephant, and they're told to describe the elephant. And so one man, he, he grabs the elephant's tail, and he says, an elephant, and obviously these blind men for this analogy have never experienced an elephant in their entire life. Uh, we should probably preface it with that. So the blind man grabs the elephant's tail and says, the elephant is like a rope. That's what an elephant is like. And another blind, one of the other blind men touches the tusk of the elephant and says, ah, an elephant is hard and it's sharp and it's, it's, it's un, unmoving. Another of the blind men touches the ear and says, no, an elephant is soft and pliable. That's what an elephant is. And the argument here is uh, they all experienced parts of the same truth. That's that uh, they would argue similarly, all religions point toward the same truth, and they're all true in their own way. They would argue each of those blind men were, were correct as far as their understanding was. And they would use that analogy to point that uh, all religions point toward the same truth. So the first truish claim we're going to look at this morning is all religions point toward the same truth. If you are somebody who buys into universalism, this is the core of your belief, is that all religions, whether we're talking Christianity or Buddhism or Hinduism or any of those, um, they all point toward the same truth. I would argue it ignores the reality, that analogy, that there's an actual elephant, that there's a truth to be understood. Um, the analogy makes you think the only thing you can do is experience in part the actual whole truth, and that's just not how it is. Uh, and I would also argue that all of the men, all these blind men, they were wrong. They weren't partly right, they were all wrong, because they attempted to describe the whole from a partial understanding, and they were therefore wrong. An elephant is not just one thing, it is multiple parts, and so they were all wrong because they attempted to explain it as a whole. 
The reality is all religions do not point toward the same larger picture, and I'll prove that. Christianity says that God is one. Mark 12, 29. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. So Christianity says God is one. Christianity also says God is personal. Romans 5, 8. Did I miss one? There we go. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So, Christianity says God is one, Christianity says God is personal, and Christianity says that uh, God is distinctly separate from creation. Psalm 95, 3-7 says, For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. He holds in His hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. So those are the three statements Christianity would make. Religions like Hinduism say that God is impersonal, you can't know Him, and they would say that everything is part of the impersonal divine, that God makes up everything that is around us. And as we just read from the Psalms, uh, it's very clear Christianity believes, no, God is completely separate. He made those things. He can't be those things because He made them, and He is personal. Atheists would obviously claim there is no God, so He's neither personal, He's not uh, impersonal, He's not uh, ambiguous. He's not, you know, any of these things. Uh, what, what do the different religions say about how we uh, reach God, how we approach God, how we get to, into relationship with God? Buddhism suggests the eightfold noble path. If you don't know anything about that, feel free to research that. Islam, it's the five pillars of Islam. That's how they uh, appease God or reach God. Atheists would obviously argue there is nothing to reach, so there's no point in trying to reach it. Christianity would say it's the gospel of Jesus. That's how we reach God. There's a relationship to be had there, Christians would argue. I think if you look at these just very briefly, and we're only covering three or four faiths in in there, they don't partially describe a greater truth. Uh, A very quick observation of this, and you can see they flat out contradict each other. They don't just explain something larger, they completely contradict one another. And so, while the first claim we're looking at is that all religions point toward the same truth, the truth is either all religions are wrong or one must be true. This is a rational explanation. Um, this is, they can't all be true because they completely contradict each other. They don't explain something larger. They are in complete opposition. A Christian and an atheist cannot both be correct. That can't exist. God cannot both exist and not exist at the same time. So one must be right and one must be wrong. We can agree on that, I would hope. Um, You might not agree on which one is right. We might not agree there, but we should be able to agree that they can't all be true. And so we can kind of do away with that first truest claim that all religions point toward the same truth. Now, obviously, I would argue Christianity is the religion that is right. It wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense for me to be up here if I didn't believe that. Uh, so obviously that's the standpoint I'm coming from. But there is another truish statement which seeks to confuse everyone specifically about Christianity, and that is our claim number two. The Bible is flawed 
and cannot be trusted. I've heard this again in, in conversation and, and talking with people who aren't Christians, um, that the Bible is flawed and you can't trust it. Um, it's not worth anything. Um, those who would seek to promote this truish statement would point to the differences in manuscripts. Well, if they know what they're talking about, um, they would point to the differences in manuscripts, saying, well, there's multiple manuscripts that uh, have different translations or they say different things in different parts of the Bible. Um, and the reality, there is confusion regarding a handful of passages. We could admit that. Uh, I've talked with Christians who are unable to admit that there's any confusion, that there's any difference at all, um, and the reality is there is. Uh, if you do your research, you'll find that there are some questionable uh, passages. If you want more information on this, because this is way more than I can dive into this morning, if you go back to our, if you remember our Handle, Handle with Care series, uh, I did one called Understanding Errors, and I, dive, I do a deep dive into the errors of the Bible, and we talk about what those are and uh, where they come from. Uh, but the errors that people try to point to are mostly a result of a lack of understanding. So there's spoiler alert from that sermon. Uh, they're mostly a result of a lack of understanding of what those passages are. Some of those, uh, some of these claims that, well, the Bible is, 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 has an error here, uh, or not that it has an error, some of the claims that, well, the Bible doesn't say the same thing here as it says over here in this manuscript, some are legitimate. But when they are that way, what they're pointing to is preservation, not inspiration. Okay, what do I mean by that? Preservation. If I asked you to say I wrote a really cool poem, I don't know, I don't write poems, so not likely this is going to happen, but uh, say I wrote a poem and I asked you, hey, can you make a, a thousand copies of this? And, you, and I want you to do it by hand. And you made a thousand copies of them. And one of them had a spelling error in it. Uh, this is equivalent to you saying, well, Pastor Bruce never wrote that. It's false and in, it's, it's not true. That's what a lot of people argue in regards to the Bible. They say, well, because this one over here has a mistake, obviously the original source is flawed and they never said that. That's equivalent to what we're talking about when it comes to manuscript errors. And people say, well, the Bible, this manuscript doesn't say what that one does. Yeah, okay, that guy made a, that guy made a mistake. That's preservation, not inspiration. Okay, so we understand what that means. The truth claim is the Bibles we have, now some of you might not like this, the Bibles we have are flawed, but the truth in them is not. So let me explain that statement. You can pick up different translations of the Bible, and they will say different things. Uh, what, what do I mean by flawed? Just the fact that our Bibles that you have maybe in your hands or on your phone are written in English means that they are in a way flawed because they're not written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And just in translation, you're going to lose so much. You've probably, if you've been around Christian circles long, you've heard the different uh, sermons on the different types of love, how in the Greek and the Hebrew they have these words for love, and uh, our English language just translates all these words as love, and we just don't have the, our language is so limited in comparison to theirs that um, just in translation you're going you're to lose a lot of the meaning. And so in that I would argue there's a flaw there. Uh, because we don't speak the same language. But then there are actual passages which uh, don't uh, belong in the Bible. They were added later on. We'll talk about that in just a moment. 
But uh, there is, uh, I guess what you would call, flaws in the Bible that um, the translations we have today aren't the exact translation or, or the, they're not the original. But again, we're talking preservation, not inspiration. To say that something wasn't actually written by somebody or wasn't true when it was originally given just because some of the copies are flawed is a flawed way to look at it. Uh, let me see where I am. I'm losing myself. I'm getting too excited. I was, we're talking about some of my nerd stuff here, so you're just going to have to deal with me a little bit. Uh, I love studying this stuff. So I want to, so we covered that. The Bible's that we have our flaws, but the truth in them is not. The truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of what he did, um, none of that is flawed. And yet, we can agree, we can accept the understanding that the physical Bibles we have today, you have to do a little research. You have to do a little work to fully understand what is in them. If you've never been to Israel, if you don't speak Hebrew, then you've got a lot of work ahead of you if you truly want to grasp everything that is in the Word of God because we're not in that same culture. Uh, if you were, uh, if I were to say to you, um, 9-11 is an emotional day for me. How many of you know what I mean? You immediately have an understanding, right? Uh, if you weren't alive in, say, I don't know, if we're still alive in a thousand years, if you were to say 9-11 is an emotional day for me, somebody's going to look at you and go, why? They'll have absolutely no understanding of what you mean because they don't have the perspective that, you, that we have today. Same is true in the Bible. We don't have the perspective, the things they experienced, the things that, that were around, the cultural things that are said in the Bible that we have no idea. Most of you don't know that when people in, in Hebrew culture, when they sat down for a meal together, you, you only did that if you were willing to absolve one another of any type of debt you had with each other. Now, today you would eat a meal with somebody and if they owed you money, you might still want that money back. Or if they had wronged you in some way, you might still feel like you're owed an apology. That's not true of the Hebrew culture. When they sat down for a meal, it, it said without saying it, everything is good. We're good. And we don't understand that. When we read certain things, if you were to read a passage about this person and this person sat down for a meal together, like Jesus sitting down with Judas, who betrays him and sells him for 30 pieces of silver, it communicates a truth that you miss out on if you don't understand the culture. It communicates Jesus without having to say it was saying to Judas, I forgive you already for what you're doing and what you're about to do because Jesus was aware of it. So little things like that we miss out on simply because we're not of that culture. Okay, truest claim number three. The Bible is, is historically inaccurate. I've heard this many times before. No one ever seems to know what they're talking about when they say this. Uh, they don't have any actual, they can't point to, you know, A and B uh, matching together. Um, however, uh, if you do a, some research on this, archaeology uh, has only ever confirmed the Bible. It's only ever disagreed with the Bible for a period of time until it was proven wrong. And what do I mean by that? If you're a nerd like me and you want to do more research... Location of Sodom and Gomorrah was argued for a long time, and then archaeology finally caught up with what the Bible said. Hittites, the existence of Hittites. The conquest of Jericho is another one. Sargon II, Belshazzar, Herod's taxation, Pilate's Palestinian rule. This was a cool one when I was in Israel. Uh, 
you know, there was this argument that because the Romans were such meticulous record keepers, that obviously the Bible was incorrect because it mentions this guy named Pilate and that he was uh, a Palestinian ruler and he was in Rome and he was a governor, I forget, you know, the title. Uh, And the Romans have absolutely no, no record of this guy. He didn't exist. He's not in a single record. So obviously the Bible is flawed. They added this character for dramatic effect. He never existed. The Bible's wrong uh, because the the Romans never made any mistakes in their record keeping. And then, just like humor would have it, the archaeology uncovers Pilate's house. And I stood right in front of this thing, and basically all that's left of his house are, are, you know, a couple pillars here and there, and then the nameplate right on the front of his house. It says, Pilate, the governor of exactly the region the Bible says he was the governor of. I just thought it was kind of humorous. And again, here's archaeology saying, well, the Bible's wrong because it, it, you know, historical records don't match up with this. And then they find something that uncovers the actual truth. And there still hasn't ever been anything that they have uncovered that says, oh, here we go. The Bible account of this historical thing is incorrect. All right. I never went to that slide. Sorry. Jewish claim number four. The Bibles we have today have been altered. We touched on this a little bit. Uh, And the truth statement behind that is there are five questionable passages, none of which change the message of the Bible in any way. So, when we're able, because again, I know some Christians who aren't even able to admit that the Bibles we have might be flawed a little bit, uh, when we can say, yeah, they are flawed, we can do a little research and find out there's only five passages that we're talking about. And of those five passages, they all fit the message of the Bible. None of them contradict anything else that's in Scripture. None of them bring like a a new concept or a new idea to the table. Um, And actually, of those five passages, some of them are just basically copy and pasted from one of the other gospels, and they're put into another gospel. Like the one gospel, they felt like it was too impersonal, so they copied a story from one of the other gospels, and um, not the right thing to do, but, you know, it's obviously, it is Scripture, just doesn't belong where it is. Um, And of the one or two that aren't, um, the argument or the, what the researchers can ascertain is they are true accounts. They were just verbal history that someone added in and said, I don't know why they didn't include this story because it really did happen. And so they included it in the, in the uh, gospel accounts and it didn't actually happen. But again, it, told, it fits the message of the Bible. It doesn't change anything, doesn't add any theological concepts. All, of, all five of those passages fit right into but aren't true. And if you do your research, it's easy to figure out what those five are. Uh, I don't know about you. I read the English Standard Version of the Bible. And if you do read that version, you'll note that when you get to those passages, there's a big old footnote there that says, this is probably not uh, Scripture or this wasn't in, in the earlier manuscripts. This was added at such and such a time. So we know what they are and we can easily talk about them. Truest claim number five. The Bible is no different than any other historical book. This is another statement I've heard from people. Well, yeah, the Bible is correct, because after a while you kind of have to start to admit, okay, maybe the Bible is a little correct on the history stuff. And so I've heard people argue, well, the Bible is a historical book, but all the other stuff, like the miracles of Jesus and all of that, like that's all garbage. Just the historical stuff is real. They would say it's no different than any other historical book. Someone just added a bunch of flair to it. And uh, the truth statement behind that is the Bible is the Word of God. So, 
if you're not a nerd, you might want to check out for the next five minutes because I'm going to hit you with some nerd stuff. But uh, there's a guy who's a lot smarter than me who did the math on this. And some of you have heard this before. But he did, he crunched the numbers on the odds, the variables, the odds of one person uh, fulfilling just eight prophecies. Okay, so what he did was he took the prophecies that had a miraculous component. So like Jesus turning water into wine, that's not really possible, yet we would believe Jesus did it because it's in the Bible. So he took those ones out of, of the mix, and he only took eight prophecies about, like, say, how Jesus died or where he was born and certain things like that that don't require a uh, miraculous component. And he said, okay, what, would it, what are the odds that one person could fulfill eight prophecies? He came up with a number, it, which is one in 10 to the 28th power. Most of you probably have bank accounts this large, right? Yeah, that's it's easy number for you to... to, for you to uh, understand. Uh, well, I, I, at one point I showed it, but the number's too, too big to show. So it's basically uh, 10 followed by 28 zeros, um, which is a lot. It was a, it's, uh, I think if I remember, 100 quadrillion is the actual um, scientific name of that number. So to put it in a statement you can understand, uh, most of us live in Pennsylvania, and if you were to take that many, 10 to the 28th power quarters, and you were to mark just one of them, the, the amount of quarters that you would have at, if you had 10 to the 28th power quarters would cover the entire state of Pennsylvania. That's a lot of quarters, except it covers it 12 feet deep. If you've ever driven across 76 or 80, you know Pennsylvania is a little bit large. Uh, it's a big state. So you're talking one quarter in the mix of 12 feet deep of quarters across the entire state of Pennsylvania the odds that you would just walk through and grab that one quarter that you marked, that's the same odds as one person fulfilling just eight prophecies in the Bible. Now, I think we can agree that's not possible. If you just filled my yard up with quarters at 12 feet deep and tried to find that one quarter, you'd be there for years trying to find that one quarter. And yet those are the odds. For a long time, the only answer to this that people who actually were looking at this and saying, yeah, that's, I agree, the numbers, the, the odds are correct, they did the math themselves and they were able to agree. Um, obviously, this is impossible for one person to fulfill eight prophecies. It's just not possible. The only argument they had was, obviously, all of those prophecies were written after Jesus lived. They basically just wrote a historical account and fraudulently worded it as prophecy. So these things were written afterward because they were smart people. They're able to realize there's no possible way that this could happen. So the only explana rational explanation is all of this was written afterward and was just a historical account of Jesus' life until the Dead Sea Scrolls were unearthed. And they were easily carbon dated to be, I think the, the youngest Dead Sea Scroll was 400 years before Jesus uh, was even alive and walked the earth. So now they're dealt with a little bit of a rational dilemma because there's not just eight prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Just on the day he died, Jesus fulfills 72 prophecies. And now you might argue, well, obviously Jesus was just trying to fulfill these prophecies. He was putting in the effort to match the prophecy. Not possible because a lot of the prophecies are completely out of his control. Number one, where he was born. Uh, look at the prophecies of the day of his death. 
he, he doesn't get to decide how he dies. Uh, and 72 just on the day he dies, over Jesus' life, he fulfills over 400 prophecies. There's not even a number to say how improbable it would be that one person could fulfill eight prophecies, let alone 400. And so I don't know how someone could get to the point where they believe the Bible is just another book. Because mathematically and rationally, there's absolutely no possible way that Jesus could have done what he did, and yet he did. And there are, before we get into the argument of whether or not the Bible is true about it, there are other extra-biblical accounts of many of the things that Jesus did and facts about his life, which are not uh, Christian-biased, you might be able to say, uh, and that point to these prophecies and show that Jesus fulfilled many of those prophecies. Okay? So that's number five. Truish claim number six. Christianity doesn't say Jesus is the only way. This is where somebody who maybe grew up as a Christian or understands Christianity but has moved toward universalism might argue, well, Christianity doesn't say Jesus is the only way. The truth to that is the Bible is actually very clear. Jesus is the only way to heaven. The Bible is unquestionable on that. Some people, um, as best I can guess as to why someone would lean toward universalism, is they kind of want to see heaven as a participation trophy, which didn't exist when I was a kid. If you stunk, you just knew you stunk at something. You didn't get a trophy. You didn't get patted on the back for stinking. You just tried harder and got better. But we want to believe, some want to believe, well, I showed up, I tried really hard, and that should count for something. As I stand before God one day, if there is a God, He should be able to look at my life and say, hey, man, you tried really hard. Good job. Come on in, because you tried. Here's your participation trophy. We call it heaven. Have a good eternity. And it's simply not, I don't know where that's based out of. It's not based out of any fact or any truth that you can point to. Uh, it's a, it might feel right. It might feel good, but that doesn't make it true. And I would argue, you know, um, you know, those kids in junior high baseball might, might feel good when they get a participation trophy, but one day they're going to be, you know, in a job and they're going to underperform and their boss isn't going to say, well, you tried really hard. You did really good. Even though our business is now failing because of you, just try harder. It doesn't work that way. We all know real life doesn't work that way. You know, you, you fail at something in the real world and you have to deal with the consequences of that. And I believe that is very true of heaven as well. The argument for the day, obviously, is all that matters is that you're sincere. If you're sincere in what you believe, then you'll get there. God will let you in because you were sincere. How many of you, and you don't need to raise your hands. I already asked this question earlier. How many of you would agree, though? It's probably really important that we get this whole eternity thing right. If we're going to die, which I don't know if any of you think you're not going to, but I think we can argue that that's going to probably happen. Uh, We're all going to die. And what happens after, if there is an eternity, it's pretty important that we get that right. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I do not know how somebody can believe the Bible is what it is and believe in universalism when it says something as clear-cut as this. Jesus himself says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. 
Jesus acknowledges he is the only path to heaven. Muhammad is not it. Buddha is not it. Trying hard is not it. Works are not it. It doesn't matter how much money you put in a church's offering plate. That's not going to get you to heaven. It doesn't matter how good you are based off of how bad you are. The yin-yang stuff. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is what we did with Jesus. It's a free gift, Jesus says. But he is the only way. And he's very clear on that. Jewish claim number seven. Well, Jesus died like every other religious leader. Yeah, you know, he might have said some good stuff, but he died like all the rest of them. He's buried and he's dead. Truth is, he did die, but he is the only one still alive. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 and 15 say, And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. Now, here's an argument that, again, if you don't know me, I'm a pretty rational person. So a lot of my understanding of the gospel and my defense of Christianity would be rational. Um, It always I don't know about you, but it really bothers me when they get like some wackadoodle on TV who doesn't know anything about Jesus, and they're going to argue about Christianity against like some really intelligent, well-spoken like atheist or something. And it's like, man, that guy does. I can argue better than him, and I'm not even that that great. Really bothers me. Little pet peeve there. Okay, but if you look at this rationally, you've got one of the big arguments is well, the the uh, disciples they stole Jesus' body. And they, then they made this big claim that Jesus rose from the dead, and it was this like, big deception that they perpetuated on the world. Um, and I think a very rational explanation to that is, okay, you've got these guys who were not educated for the most part. The majority of the disciples were not educated. They were just normal old guys. And you explain to me how likely it is that of those 12 guys, Judas killed himself for betraying Jesus. We know that to be true. John dies of old age. The other 10... They are all martyred. They're all murdered for not recanting their belief in Jesus. Not a single one of those 10 recanted their belief in Jesus and the gospel. And you're going to tell me that these 10 guys stole this body, and at no point in the process of them being stabbed, hung, hung upside down on a cross, one of them was, and killed, one of them wouldn't have said, all right, guys, you know what? This is just, we were just fooling around. Um, we're sorry. We were just messing with everybody we take it back. Please don't stab me in the face. Ten guys, not a single one of them, was willing to recant. Not, if you're going to convince me that they were that good at deception, that they were willing to be murdered for this joke and this prank they were perpetuating on the world, man, there were some ten pretty weird guys who were willing to do that. And if you look at history, it wasn't just ten. There was many of the early believers were killed, murdered, tarred, and feathered, uh, and put on crosses themselves, all this stuff. And if they didn't see the risen Jesus, if I hadn't seen the risen Jesus, I would have reconsidered at some point. After all the torture and the abuse and the certain death, I would have said, you know what, this isn't worth it. I I don't even know if this guy was real. But the fact that all 10 of the disciples, to the moment they breathed their last, did not turn from their faith. To me, it says, they saw something. Something happened that changed drastically who they were and what they were willing to do. Because every single one of them devoted their, the rest of their entire life 
to telling people about Jesus Christ. And if, which is historically proven, there was a Jesus, he died on a cross, and he was buried, if that was the end of the story, there's no way they would have lived the rest of their life, some of them a very short life because they were murdered, talking about this Jesus guy. It just is impossible. It's not rational to think that happened. And to me, that's one of the best explanations of whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. People would say, wow, this is ridiculous that Jesus rose from the dead. If he didn't, what were those 10 guys thinking? Because Jesus only walked with them for three years. Most of them only knew Jesus for three years. He discipled them, he walked with them, he taught them, he instructed them. I wouldn't be willing to be hung upside down on a cross for a guy I only knew for three years unless I saw him rise from the dead and he claimed to be God. Then, yeah, I'm, not, I'm taking that to the grave and I'm willing to put up with anything. And so that's my argument from the disciples' point of view. They took a poll. 92% of Americans believe that Jesus was a real person. That's a pretty high likelihood, which in recent decades, as they've uh, studied a lot of extra-biblical history, I think they've come to the terms of realizing, you know what? Yeah, it's really not arguable at this point that Jesus actually lived. Now, there's a lot of dispute about who he was, about the claims that he made, but there really isn't any confusion anymore that Jesus actually lived and walked on the earth. And once you are able to grasp that Jesus actually lived, um, there's a guy who coined the phrase uh, or this idea that at that point, you're only left with three choices because there's a lot of history about what the claims that Jesus made. And you're left deciding if Jesus was a liar, flat-out liar, knew he wasn't God, claimed to be God. He was a lunatic that he really did think he was God, but he wasn't. Or you're left with the understanding that maybe he was God, that he really was Lord. 56% of adults that were polled believe that Jesus was God. I think that's a pretty high number to understand that 56% of adults believe that Jesus was God. 26% say he was a religious spiritual leader just like Muhammad or the Buddha. That, you know, he was a really good spiritual leader. He was a good guy. He had a lot of good concepts, uh, taught a lot of, you know, really good morals and things like that. 48% of millennials only 48% of millennials believe that Jesus was God. So as the generations continue to go, less and less and less people believe that Jesus was God. But if you look at this argument of liar, lunatic, or Lord, it's, there's no question that Jesus lived. There's no question that he said he was God. That's why he was murdered. <laughs> they don't just hang people on a cross because they are, you know, they're having a uh, bored day. There was a reason this all happened and because Jesus claimed he was God. So obviously he knew that. He wasn't. He lied, and he was actually buried, and he never rose again. And then 10 disciples went through the most miserable deaths you can fathom for absolutely no reason. He was a lunatic. He really did think he was God, and he really believed what he said, and he really had a following of people who also believed this crazy idea that he was God. He was murdered. He died on the, he died on the cross. He was buried, and he never rose again. And again, you've got to explain why these disciples and People for all generations have died de defending this idea. Or he was Lord. This idea that Jesus was a good moral teacher, how many good moral teachers do you know that walk around claiming they're God? Oh, neither. 
That, it doesn't exist, and that's the, that's the lie that people try to push. Well, yeah, he was a good guy. He was a good moral teacher. Good moral teachers don't claim they're God and try to get people to follow them knowing that they aren't God or that are super crazy and think they are God and aren't. That's not a good moral teacher. That's not somebody who's promoting good ideas. That's somebody who's trying to create a following for a, a messed up purpose. So he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And the last truth we're talking about today it does matter what you believe because there is only one way to heaven and his name is Jesus. And if you want to sit and talk, I would love to sit and talk and explain more of this stuff. Like I said, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to this stuff. I love to re research this stuff. Uh, I consider myself to be a somewhat intelligent person and I, it always bothers me when people try to argue, well, science or Christianity isn't based in science and fact. Are you kidding me? Science has less science and fact than Christianity does. The stuff that, the things we believe are backed with so much truth, so much evidence. And I love to talk about those things. But it does matter what you believe. Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you're wondering, what do you do now? If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. One of the most beautiful things about Christianity, it is the only religion that is not works-based. There is nothing you must do to go to heaven. There's no work you have to accomplish. It doesn't matter if you ever give a church a dime of your money. None of that matters. All that matters is what you do with the reality of who Jesus was. He says, here's a gift. Just as if I were to say, hey, I want to give you my car and I offer my keys to you. It doesn't take a whole lot of work to take my keys because it's a free gift. And that's all Jesus is saying. That's all you got to do. However, if you don't, that car's not yours. And if you want to, you know, 10 years from now, you want to jump in my car and drive it away, there's going to be consequences because <laughs> it's not yours. You never took, you never received that gift. And so some would say, well, God's evil because he would send people. Who's, how would a loving God send people to hell? Are you kidding me? He sent Jesus to die. He wrote the Bible. He's offered so many opportunities for us to be saved and yet we've not received them. It reminds me of this, the old story I heard when I, I think when I was a little bit younger of uh, somebody who was in the middle of a flood and they were that, you know, that hyper-religious person. Um, and as the flood waters were coming up, somebody drove by in a you know, big old truck and said, jump in the truck, the flood's coming. And they said, oh no, God's got me, I'm good. And as the flood waters came up, someone came by in a boat and you know, the, the water was up above the first floor of their house and they were hanging out the window, and a guy in the boat said, man, the floodwaters are coming. It's only going to get worse. Jump in the boat. And he says, no, no, no. God's got me. I'm good. And as the floodwaters rose, they were sitting on the very top of their house. Their, their, the bottom of their body was still in the water, and a helicopter came by and wanted, told them, get in. The floodwaters are coming. And they said, no, 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 no. God's got me. I'm good. And like the dummy they are, they died. And they drowned. And they get to heaven, and they said, God, what in the world? I, I know clearly you said that you would save me, and yet here I am. And God's like, man, I sent you a car, I sent you a boat, and I sent you a helicopter. Are you dense? And I believe as we stand before God one day, and we were to sit there and say, you didn't give me the opportunity to go to heaven, to say that God sends anybody to hell is ridiculous. He offers us, us. We are meant to go and tell others there's hope in Jesus. There's freedom found in his name. He is who he said he is. All it takes is some, some conversation to be real about who Jesus is. Tell people about what he's done for you. 
Some of you would be willing to take Jesus to the grave. You would never recant because he's done so much in your life. Not because you're weak, not because you're mentally deranged, but because you know beyond a shadow of a doubt he is who he said he is. He is God. I would because I know what God has done. I know who I would be without him. Some of you would say the same. So if you're here this morning and you just, you realize maybe for the first time, maybe this is true. Let's talk. Let's have a conversation. I don't believe in, in the whole, well, all you got to do is pray a prayer and everything will be good with you. Now, certainly that's how we communicate with God. If you are feeling that realization that he is who he said he is, then it's as simple as what Romans 9 and 10, uh, 10, 9 and 10 say here. It's just believing in your heart and confessing. That's salvation. It's a beautiful thing about Christianity. There's no work involved. It's just a realization and an acknowledgement of the truth, a receiving of the gift of salvation and saying, God, you're right. I am flawed, and I need you. That's as simple as it is. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that what I believe is not based on just feeling good thoughts and the hope that maybe possibly something is true. I thank you that you have showed up in my life in real ways, in ways that which, which cannot be explained in any other way than that there is a God, and he loves me. Lord, I thank you for the truth of the Bible, this love letter you've written to us and you've, you've kept for us to read, to know that you are God and that you are the one true way to heaven. Lord, I, I pray for any who would be watching this morning or here this morning and realizing that maybe what they thought about Christianity isn't true. Maybe their understanding of who Christians are or what we believe, just maybe it was flawed and biased by the media or by something else. I pray you would give them an open mind to hear the realities of who you are and how Christianity has evolved throughout time. And, 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 and Lord, I pray that we who are Christians, who are believers, that we would have humility at the forefront of our minds because the reality is many people don't believe a lot of times because of our example, because we just don't live it out, because we're hypocrites to what is written in the Word. Lord, I pray you would help us to walk in humility with those who don't know you, realizing we are no better than them. There is no such thing as a Christian who is better than somebody who isn't. We just have a hope. And Lord, I pray you would give each and every one of us the ability to communicate that hope in a way that clearly explains who you are, that we would not get in your way with all of our methods, with all of our, our, our preconceived notions, with all of our rules and regulations that we add but we would offer this gift of freedom. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who's wrestling with this truth, whose brain just isn't computing the truth of the gospel, and they're realizing maybe that, that there is something greater, that there is life after death, and, and they're feeling the, the, the need to be right about what happens after we die. Lord, I pray you would give them clarity. I pray you would give them someone to, to talk to them and, and help them understand the truth of the gospel. Lord, I pray this morning for us, everyone here, that we would be closer to you as we leave today than we were when we got here. That each and every day we would grow closer to you, Jesus. I pray blessings over our church family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Like I said, if you have any questions, please come talk to us. Let us know. Let's grab some coffee, tea, whatever, lunch. Let's chat about it. Come to my office. We'll talk all day about it. Uh, like I said, next week we're going to start our Abide series, so if you're interested in knowing what does it look like to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, join us next week as we start our Abide series. Have a great week.